This is Habwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Habwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. What is the future of the Republican Party? If passed as prelude, 2016 witnessed the election of President Donald Trump, along with Republican majorities in both houses of Congress. But 2018 saw the loss of control in the House of Representatives, and in 2020, the loss of both the White House and a majority in the Senate. Rather than interpret these election defeats as imperatives to change course or candidates, a substantial percentage of Republican voters preferred to embrace a Trump-authored narrative that the election had been stolen, either by the casting of a substantial number of fraudulent votes or through the misinformation campaigns of news and social media. Indeed, this confidence that Trump did in fact win has empowered Trump himself to politically defenestrate party leaders who oppose his stolen election assertions and hand victories in state primaries with his endorsement to otherwise weak candidates. With the midterm elections less than a month away, Republicans will soon learn whether Donald Trump's political involvement has indeed helped to grow party support and election success, or whether his influence has been so detrimental that the party fails to win majorities in either house of Congress. How did Donald Trump change the Republican Party? How will the party of Donald Trump fare in the upcoming midterm elections? And what will be the future of the GOP heading towards the 2024 election? My guest today is Professor William Mayer, political scientist, author of 11 books, and co-editor of the newly released book, The Elephant in the Room, Donald Trump, and the Future of the Republican Party. As the name suggests, the book endeavors to understand the effects of Donald Trump's influence on the GOP, explain the changing constituencies of the party, and explore the likely path the party will take as it searches for ways to regain majorities in Congress in 2022 and the White House in 2024. The book is a collection of nine essays written by Republican thinkers, data analysts, and political scientists, including Professor Mayer, with a range of views from those who think former President Trump a good leader and president to those who do not. We will discuss where agreement exists within the party and where it does not, and explore how those differences are likely to be resolved as the party looks forward to the 2024 presidential election. When I return, I'll be joined by political scientist and author, Professor William Mayer. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by political scientist and author of 11 books, including the recently released The Elephant in the Room, Professor Bill Mayer. Welcome to Hubwonk, Bill. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, I, uh, it's great to have you. I just finished reading The Elephant in the Room, Donald Trump and the Future of the Republican Party. I recommend it to our listeners. Um, but for the benefit of readers, I just want to give a, a sense of what the book is all about. It's it's a, a collection of nine, I would call them long essays. Each chapter is a different author. Um, each is a, an esteemed writer, a thinker, or in some cases, election data analyst. Um, it covers a, a huge range of views uh, on both the GOP and, and former President Trump. Um, you wrote one of the chapters and served as the book's editor. So let's start with you and your background. How did you come to be a, a student of political science? Uh, well, I went to uh, college thinking, actually, I was going to become a lawyer. And uh, then I happened to take a statistics class in my uh, uh, my sophomore year. And uh, I'd always had a certain... I. I I, I enjoyed math, and so I enjoyed this 
political science statistics class. And then I was uh, uh, the research assistant to a professor. And I said, wow, this would be fun to do for a living. And so I went on from there to get a PhD. And uh, I do a variety of things, but uh, uh, it is the case that, that I'd like to think I have very practical interests. I'm interested in elections and the media and uh, uh, certain practical issues in uh, political thought. And so uh, uh, I've been at it ever since. Well, the book reflects that sort of a uh, worldview and that it's it's perfectly free of uh, wild uh, uh, normative assertions and really does try to stick to most of the, the facts, well-supported facts, uh, data points, uh, and tries to support them, I, I think, in a somewhat um, uh, logical way. Uh, so um, we have your book. Um, what, before you set out to write it, what was your goal in writing a book about um, effectively uh, the future of the GOP vis-a-vis uh, four years of uh, President Trump? Well, as we say or try to indicate in the title, uh, not only uh, obviously it plays on on the uh, symbol of uh, uh, the elephant uh, as the symbol for the Republican Party, but if uh, you care about the Republican, uh, if you care about the future of American politics, whether you like Republicans or uh, used to be a Republican or would like to uh, get rid of the party entirely, uh, you really do have to come to terms with the uh, the character, the future of Donald Trump. And one thing that that uh, uh, I should mention to your uh, to anyone inclined to read the book, uh, they are nine separate chapters. And the other thing about it is they are all written by as we say in the introduction to the book, by uh, conservatives, libertarians, Republicans, and ex-Republicans. So these are not just people who categorically say, Donald Trump is awful, let's get rid of him. Uh, Some of them do, but uh, some of them support him. Uh, And I think it's fair to say that most of the authors take a rather mixed view of him. Yes, he got a few. There were some good things he got. He accomplished, but also there were some uh, uh, some negatives. And and uh, as I say, if if you uh, want to think about the future of the Republican Party, um, you really have to come to terms with that question about what, how they are going to relate to Donald Trump in the future. Um, it, I found it interesting and perhaps educational to think about uh, the long arc of the GOP and some of the uh, pieces actually, frankly, go back to Hamilton and, and Madison, but also to uh, um, more recent uh, Lincoln all the way up to Calvin Coolidge, uh, you know, again, following the arc to um, Nixon, Reagan, and all the way to present day. Um, some make the assertion in there that Trump, or let's say this this sort of, uh, if I may call it a more populist wing of the GOP, uh, seems to be more in keeping with more uh, historical traditions rather than more recent, let's say, modern movement conservatives, let's say from the um, uh, mid-60s onward. And we're thinking you know, William F. Buckley and the uh, and National Review. Uh, if you go back to Lincoln, uh, uh, someone like Trump might actually look more familiar than uh, perhaps to those who are more modern movement conservatives. Say uh, more about the history of the GOP. Well, the Republican, uh, let me uh, uh, let me start, if if I may, at uh, 
the uh, the New Deal, because I think that really was a profound reshaping of both American political parties. Prior to that time, the Republicans were the majority party in this country. They dominated elections between 1896 and 1928. And then along comes the Great Depression. And ever since then, uh, the Republicans have been the, uh, the minority party. Uh, the Democrats have been. I actually, uh, just for a class I'm teaching, checked the data uh, uh, two days ago and found, and it's still the case that if you ask most Americans, are you a Democrat or Republican or an independent, that more people say uh, they are Democrats than Republicans. Um, and Given that that's the case, uh, Republicans have always, there have often been two sorts of viewpoints. Uh, One says, uh, we really kind of need to soften some of the rough edges of the party. Uh, In some cases, uh, uh, suggested, uh, maybe not uh, explicitly, but clearly in terms of their, uh, uh, their platforms, we need to be more like the Democrats, uh, whereas others have said, uh, no, we need to present a much clearer alternative. Um, and the record is actually in, in, in I mean, the, 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 the fundamental um, uh, question here is who wins? And uh, the record is actually rather mixed. Uh, the uh, 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 if there was ever a what was sometimes called a Me Too Republican, it was Thomas Dewey, and of course he lost both times. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was uh, also uh, a candidate of what you could have called at the time the Eastern uh, Republican establishment, but he won twice. Um, uh, after Nixon loses, uh, the party embraces, uh, in, in a sense, the ultimate non-Me Too Republican, Barry Goldwater, and he gets trounced. Uh, on the other hand, there's, there's Ronald Reagan, who was widely declared, uh, especially in 1976, to be unelectable, and, uh, but he gets the nomination and wins overwhelmingly and then gets reelected overwhelmingly. Uh, it's also, though, a question of what they've actually done in office. And I think in a number of cases, uh, 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 Reagan managed both, by and large, to uh, get uh, not only to win twice, but to convince people that he uh, did his best to turn the government in a more conservative direction. I think a lot of the appeal of Donald Trump comes from the presidency of George W. Bush, where I think an awful lot of conservatives uh, believe that he uh, surrendered too much to the Democrats. And if there is one issue uh, where I think this was most apparent, it was probably uh, the immigration issue, where he showed virtually no interest in cracking down on illegal immigration. He uh, another classic example of this was education, where uh, the uh, he uh, um, uh, pushed through Congress uh, a program, No Child Left Behind, uh, 
that dramatically expanded both federal spending and the federal role in education. This from a party that up till then had been talking about the need to get rid of the uh, Federal Department of Education. And I think it was in part a reaction to that that made a lot of people say, we're tired of these establishment Republicans. Let's nominate somebody like uh, Donald Trump, who at least, I mean, I mean, Trump's an interesting character in the sense that in many respects, his views are not particularly conservative. And he certainly didn't have a very conservative history. As I argue in my chapter, uh, I don't think he changed the Republican Party so much as the Republican Party changed him prior to his election or prior to his running for uh, the presidency. He had been pro-choice on abortion. Now, suddenly he's pro-life. He had at various points endorsed uh, gun control uh, uh, once he runs for president, he says, no, actually, now I'm opposed to gun control. Uh, Almost the only issue in which he really kind of uh, challenged the Republican orthodoxy was trade policy. Uh, On virtually every other uh, issue, uh, sometimes enthusiastically, sometimes uh, at times you got the sense reluctantly, he, he ultimately uh, adhered to the Republican uh, uh, orthodoxy. And I still find it difficult to explain not how he beat Hillary Clinton. I, you know, I, she was a weak candidate. And as I say in my chapter, uh, she was a candidate absolutely designed for him because all of his weaknesses were in various ways matched by hers. Uh, he had told a lot of lies. Well, so did she. Uh, he was had some suspect business dealings. Well, the Clinton Foundation was pretty suspect. Um, he uh, uh, refused to release his tax returns. She uh, uh, didn't. She deleted 33,000 emails and so on. You can go. Uh, what I find more difficult to explain is how he won the Republican nomination in the first place. And Indeed. I'm surprised that more Republicans were not just incredibly skeptical of him and unwilling to, uh, you know, rally behind him. But they did in, 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 in the primaries, and I'm talking about now. Indeed. So let's, let's unpack a lot of what you said. You've covered a lot of ground there. So uh, I, I think if, you're, if I'm going to put together what you've just said is that the um, – the Republican Party uh, under Donald Trump hasn't changed that much. In fact, it was Donald Trump who changed more than the Republican Party under Donald Trump. So let's take apart that and, and talk about the, those areas where there was substantial disagreement from, let's say, movement conservatives. You mentioned uh, trade policy. I think it's uh, received wisdom of, of, of uh, conservatives that free trade in general uh, redounds to the benefit of consumers and workers, certainly in the long run, uh, though it, of course, creates disruptions. How is it that uh, that particular issue um, of course, resonated with his base, but also resonated with Donald Trump himself. Why didn't he abandon the? Uh, why, why didn't he embrace uh, uh, those of us who, who uh, embrace uh, free trade? Well, I think if nothing else, he is a very strong nationalist, and I think 
it was easy for him to indicate. Uh, and I think uh, in addition to thinking that this was probably a, uh, a good political stance to take, because it is the case, whatever, I mean, again, as you, as you exactly, as you say, uh, uh, I mean, it's not just conservatives, uh, economists in general are pretty strongly pro, pro free trade. Uh, there are some exceptions, but if you were to survey the economists at, say, the Harvard Economics Department, the vast majority of them would be free tr- pro free trade. Um, but uh, they've never succeeded in convincing the American people of that. Uh, it's clear that uh, a lot of people are skeptical of it. I think it's fair to say that the benefits of free trade are often difficult to recognize. Uh, uh, but the costs are are often very apparent. You have uh, automobile plants shutting down and steel industries saying they're about to go out of business unless they get more protectionism. Um, and um, so uh, uh, it was an appealing posture. And as I say, um, he is, it, it, it in some ways fit very nicely with his slogan, make America great again, that this was a way of, he thought, of rebuilding the American economy. I want to back up just a little bit, and I hope this doesn't offend any of our, our listeners, but uh, I think in the book you point out the, um, the fact that uh, uh, Bush, uh, that uh, Donald Trump uh, makes the claim himself that he hasn't finished a book in his um, adult life. Uh, those of us who are sort of love reading the books and you know, <laughs> the intellectual underpinnings of both our political view and our economic view, um, and we can all cite chapter and verse of our favorite uh, philosopher or economist. Um, it, it's always been my view that the Republican Party was foundationally a party of ideas, and yet it's sort of its, its touchstone, its uh, most recent leader, claims not to have finished a book. Uh, is the Republican Party moving away from the idea of being a party of ideas and rather sort of a um, appealing to, um, um, you know, uh, preferences uh, of the moment? Or is there some, uh, will the party essentially move away from, let's say, you say core traditional uh, conservative values, free markets, uh, liberty, you know, those kinds of things? Um, or do you think it will be, in a sense, more of a um, uh, customer service uh, party, whereby it, 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 it learns what the uh, majority wants and, and moves in that direction? Well, I think the Republican Party has uh, long, well, the, uh, again, say, go back to about the 1950s, uh, had a bit of an ambivalent attitude towards intellectual activity in general. It is undoubtedly the case today that if you do surveys of college faculty, they are overwhelmingly left of center. Uh, I'm a professor at Northeastern University, and frankly, I'm the only conservative in the department. Um, and um, and so there, while they're always, ha- while uh, somebody like William F. Buckley 
and uh, have uh, and and any number of others have tried to. I mean, there genuinely is a conservative intellectual movement in this country, for lack of a better term, that includes people like uh, uh, Friedrich uh, Hayek and uh, uh, Buckley and Milton Friedman. Uh, But I think it's fair to say that a lot of the mass base has been skeptical of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, uh, Ronald Reagan, I think, is an interesting character because while he portrayed himself as a just kind of a, a, a uh, an ordinary citizen, not a politician, uh, who was simply concerned uh, about the issues, uh, it is at least my understanding that, in fact, he was pretty well read yeah. on a lot of conservative ideas. Mm-hmm. But he wore his learning lightly, which I think led a whole lot of people to underestimate his intellectual abilities. Uh, this was a guy who was successful in an enormous range of careers. He was successful as a radio announcer, as a uh, an actor, as a union leader, as a uh, corporate spokesman, and then in politics. And yet there were people who had dismissed him as an amiable dunce. Well, you can't be that successful in that many different careers without having something on the ball. Uh, But um, uh, clearly Trump is of a different uh, character. And um, I I was just gonna say one last, uh, one other statistic, which I think is revealing about why Trump did win the Republican nomination. Um, The, uh, after all the major uh, Republican primaries, there were exit polls conducted by the media. And one of the uh, questions on this exit poll was something like, uh, what one issue uh, or what one, what was the most important reason to explain your vote? And uh, uh, some of them uh, 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 Trump did Okay, on, but there was one that he absolutely dominated. And that was a question, uh, an answer that said, tells it like it is. And if that was what people said and was their reason for voting, he won 80% of the vote. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, I, I and, no doubt. And, yeah. And, and I think that there were just a lot of people who, who, you know, I criticize him in my chapter for being intemperate for needlessly alienating a lot of people. But I think there were a whole lot of people who I think sadly found that actually an appealing quality. You know, he's insulting. Uh, He's not just opposing Hillary Clinton. He's insulting her. He's not just uh, 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 saying that he's opposed to illegal immigration. He's calling them rapists and murderers. Um, yeah. I, so I, I understand sort of the appeal of, to some people uh, for that, but without sort of the um, intellectual underpinning. I, I don't think, I don't know who was our last uh, president who was a, a professor, maybe Woodrow Wilson, uh, but we've had in, in the interim, we've had a few that haven't even had college degrees, right? Like uh, uh, Truman, right? He, Truman's uh, the last, though. <laughs> that's right. So so we do have a range of, of backgrounds, but let's say without the intellectual underpinning, you know, one could... Um, argue that um, you're going to alienate people or, or at least 
uh, for people before Trump was president, I was quite concerned he would return to uh, a more, I mean, he was a Democrat for most of his life. Uh, I wasn't sure of his uh, um, conservative convictions. Um, but let's talk more more practically about the analysis in your book about where voters are going, who who is staying with the party and who's migrating. Uh, you made some assertions about whether Hispanics are sort of uh, were, were drawn to um, a, a looser uh, uh, position on immigration and you were dubious of, of the idea that that would make a difference with them. Indeed, I don't think it did make much of a difference. One clear difference in your book's analysis is the migration out of the party of uh, voters with college degrees. Um, I think that's often been portrayed as the um, uh, transformation of the Republican Party into the working class party. But actually, the data suggests it's not an increase in the number of uh, working class people joining the GOP, but rather an exodus of those with uh, professional degrees who are leaving. Um, so in a sense, uh, he's losing more or this populist view, anti-intellectual, anti-elite view is losing more people than it is gaining. What would you say to that observation? Well, I think that's right. I mean, it is important to remember this is a guy who averaged about 46 percent of the vote. He did not. Uh, he uh, in, in, in many ways, it's remarkable that he managed to uh, get elected in 2016 when he lost the popular vote by about two percent. Uh, I think uh, without uh, going into to, to details that the claim that he really won in 2020 and it was he was denied the presidency by vote fraud is nonsense. And um, uh, yeah, he's he's uh, I mean, I think you, you, you could argue he's he's he has gotten a little bit more of the vote from non-college educated, uh, in particular, those who do not have a high school degree uh, or those who just finished high school. Um, they don't turn out as much as people with college educations. Um, and, um, and, and that may be partly a, a perception that, uh, uh, that the Democrats, I mean, that may be partly Trump. It may be partly a perception that the Democrats are entirely, too, which used to be the party of the working class are too, responsive to a lot of liberal college educated elites. Uh, the, uh, uh, the defund the police movement, for example, has no support among working class whites. Uh, it doesn't have much support, frankly, among blacks, but it does appeal to certain largely white college educated liberals. Uh, you can go to uh, uh, the uh, uh, climate change movement uh, is something that that ranks very low on most voters scale of priorities. Uh, who does it appeal to? Again, white college educated liberals. And I think there are a lot of uh, uh, working class voters again, largely white, but but to some extent black as well, who have gradually developed the perception that uh, the Democratic Party is no longer their party. And uh, I think that explains Trump's appeal as much as perhaps some of his own qualities. Well, I um, I 
agree with uh, everything you've just said. I, I, uh, you know, I guess it's a contest of who can alienate voters faster. Um, <laughs> you know, they're both doing a great job of, of making everybody utterly disgusted. So, uh, you know, again, I don't want to um, bury the lead. I really do want to ask your opinion. You have some um, writers in your book that says the future of the GOP. Uh, I think it was the first author in your book who said uh, he had a little uh, uh, decision tree diagram that said the only way to successfully uh, win in 2024 is by either nominating Trump or someone who has been nominated as Trump's successor by Trump. Uh, and another that said the only way to uh, win in 2024 is to uh, distance oneself from Trump and in a sense move on with, you know, uh, uh, traditional uh, conservative, albeit more updated uh, views. So uh, they, the, the Venn diagram seems to, to allow for no intersection there. So as, as one of the editors, I'm going to ask you um, first a big loaded question. Um, I won't hold you to it. Do you think Trump is likely to uh, run again? And do you see uh, the, the the best prospects to be sort of um, Trump or uh, one of Trump's acolytes? Or do you, do we need to, in a sense, say uh, maybe he got some things right, but uh, we don't embrace uh, his style at all? What, what do you see? Well, I would hesitate to predict what Donald Trump is going to do next, but everything from his behavior suggests he's going to run again. I think he, uh, if nothing else, he does not want to go out as having lost. He would love to win and and feel as though uh, he's being uh, the 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 uh, the voters are repudiating what they did in 2020. Um, I think I argue in my chapter that he has been a significant net uh, negative on the party, that he turned off a lot more people than he gained. Uh, it is, you know, during his presidency, his approval ratings almost never exceeded his disapproval ratings. Today, a lot of Republicans think that uh, Joe Biden is unpopular. Well, if you ask people, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of Biden and, and then ask the same question about Trump. Uh, Biden's more popular than Trump today. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, you know, if, if uh, I think almost any other serious Republican candidate could beat Biden, uh, I don't think that about Trump. Trump may be the one candidate that gives Biden a decent shot at getting reelected. So I'm very much of the opinion that they should distance themselves from Trump. Um, and there is at least some indication in some of the polling that uh, people are starting to rally around uh, uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida as, a, as the, alter the major alternative uh, to Trump. Um, now, as you say, there is a, a chapter by a guy named Jim Campbell arguing that uh, either the Republicans should nominate Trump again or a Trump acolyte. The problem is Trump doesn't want a Trump acolyte. Trump wants Trump. Uh, the only person he would accept as a legitimate replacement for himself is one of his kids, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think if the Republic, I mean, you can, I know a lot of Republicans who say uh, G. DeSantis is in some ways 
like Trump, but he's a little more respectable. He's, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't have the, the checkered business career. He's uh, he doesn't tell as many lies. Uh, he's smarter. It's a, he's apparently more book read. Uh, but um, uh, but I don't know that Trump feels that that he's an adequate replacement for him. And I think if DeSantis wins uh, the Republican primary, uh, Trump is going to be very upset about that. Uh, what effect that will have is a little unclear, but but uh, depends on what he decides to do with that level of anger. But um, uh, and I think the other thing, one one final thought in that regard, uh, it depends, I think, to a fair extent on a lot of what happens in a number of the contested Senate races this year. In a number of states, Trump actively endorsed one of the candidates uh, and that candidate won. I'm thinking of Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania and J.D. Vance in Ohio and uh, Blake Masters in Arizona. And a lot of those candidates are uh, and, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. And a lot of those candidates are, at least according to all the current polling, in trouble. And uh, if a lot of those candidates lose, uh, there may be an increasing perception among many Republicans who might otherwise be favorably disposed toward Trump to say, yeah, but he, he's a loser. And maybe then they will rally around somebody like DeSantis, who, again, according to current polling, looks like he's going to get reelected rather comfortably yep. in uh, in Florida. Indeed, I wanted to, again, we run out of time, but I want to zero in on that. I've, again, I've had many lively conversations with uh, uh, Republicans about which direction to go in in um, 2024. But as you mentioned, um, Hopefully, uh, both as a party and as, as voters and as Americans, one wants one's own party to be in charge. Uh, so one wants to win uh, elections. If you look at Trump, uh, you say certainly he won 2016, but uh, 2018 uh, was not a good year for Republicans. 2020, uh, he underperformed other Republicans, but still they underperformed really what we would have expected. Uh, and including, so you might argue he lost the presidency, surely, but he also lost the House, uh, control of the House in 18, and he could have uh, easily, uh, by staying out of the race, uh, uh, kept Georgia either one or both those seats Republican. So he he's lost the um, House 18 and 20, that's two times, he's lost the Senate, and he's arguably, as you mentioned, four, let's say, easily winnable states may be lost, and thereby the entire Senate, because of his influence. So how could losing um all those races for a party um not be at least uh offer some alarm to people who would otherwise as you say be inclined to want to support him well uh i think a lot of people will draw that conclusion i mean one finding in a lot of political science is that people overestimate the attractiveness of their own favorite candidate so uh, there are going to be a lot of hardcore Trump supporters who, if, say, uh, Oz and Walker and Masters all lose, 
are going to say, oh, well, but it wasn't Trump's fault. Uh, it was because the rest of the party failed to rally around those candidates or um, uh, those candidates could have won if they had run better campaigns or something like that. Um, but if a significant number of people do draw that conclusion, then and, and, and certainly uh, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to press a lot and commentators and other Republicans who are going to press that conclusion, um, we'll see. But I think uh, I think that would be uh, real bad news for Trump if a lot. I mean, I really think he, he made uh, he took a real risk by nominating a lot of these people. And it it isn't at all clear to me why he felt, for example, that Mehmet Oz would make a great candidate in Pennsylvania yeah. uh, or uh, uh, that um, uh, that Herschel Walker, of all people, would make a great candidate uh, down in Georgia. Yeah, it is puzzling. So, again, uh, we get to the end. I just want to ask one more uh, question. Let, let's assume we do have two uh, and only two. Uh, candidates uh, for the Republican nominee for 2024, and it's Ron DeSantis and, and Donald J. Trump. And for reasons we just described, folks uh, pull the lever for DeSantis, whether they agree more with him or not, they think he's more able to win. Do the Trump supporters then uh, take their ball and go home? Is that the danger that Trump is so disparaging about the outcome of a primary? I suppose you could say that was stolen, um, but that, you know, you ultimately go into a general with half the party uh, angry at the uh, um, uh, nomination process or the nominee. Well, that's a that's a good question. And it depends in part on his behavior. You may remember that in 2016, when he was asked, if you lose, will you endorse the Republican nominee? He refused to say it until he had locked up the nomination. And then he said, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll support the nominee. Well, uh, easy to say uh, if you know you're going to be the nominee. Um, I think uh, I think initially a lot of the Trump supporters will say if it's not him, I'm I, I'm going to vote for the Democrat or the Libertarian candidate, or a lot of them in particular are going to say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. Uh, now, the general finding in a lot of these cases is that uh, a lot of those people are going to be initially upset. But as the general election rolls on and they think, more and more about the issue of uh, another four years of Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate, I think a lot of them are going to say, OK, I'll, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember in uh, 1976, uh, Ronald Reagan tried to win the nomination and fell short. And uh, one of his more vocal and less temperate supporters wrote a uh, an editorial that said, uh, hold your nose and vote for Gerald Ford. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are probably a lot of Trump supporters are are in the end going to come around to that. But some of them will stay home. Um, well, but of there's course, no doubt that that'll be the case. But of course, that got us Jimmy Carter. So, you know, you're, yeah, he well, doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 yes, I, I agree. Okay. Well, that uh, we're up against our, our time. I, I could talk about your book um, uh, much longer, uh, Bill. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it. Where can our listeners who now, uh, for the hardcore Trump supporters, want to see their favorite uh, piece written about why he's the best thing? And uh, those who don't care for Trump will find a, a chapter that will appeal to them. And everybody else, I think, will learn a little bit about the range of views on on, on the party and, and Donald J. Trump. Where can we find your book and buy it? Well, it's on Amazon, and the uh, uh, the you can find it under my name. But actually, the first of the two co uh, editors listed is Andrew Bush. That's B U S C H, not like the president. And I'm William Mayer, M A Y E R. And the book again is called "The Elephant in the Room: uh, Donald Trump and the Future of the Republican Party." And I think it's also available from Barnes and Noble. Uh, published by Roman and Littlefield. If you can't find it anywhere else, you can go to the publisher. Wonderful. I got it through the Kindle version, so I don't have any dog-eared copies on my desk. I've got so many darn books. I I bought the Kindle version uh, and got it uh, immediately. So uh, very, very good book. Again, as you say, it's The Elephant in the Room, Donald Trump and the Future of the Republican Party. I recommend it. Thank you very much, Professor Mayer. You've been a great fund of information. And for our listeners, I hope we've we've, uh, uh, connected them with a, a, at least a, a provocative piece of, of work for them to, to think more on the topic. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Really sure. appreciate it. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you'd like to help make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.